Welcome to Faith Fondue, a new podcast featuring me, author and speaker, Haley DeMaria, and teacher and blogger, Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics, ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Each week will feature a theme, and the theme for this week's episode is Lent, week three, fasting. And happy third Sunday in Lent. Uh, prayer was our theme last week. Fasting is our theme this week. Uh, and I'm curious, Anne, what are your thoughts on fasting? Hi, Haley. Yeah, good to be here. Week of March 7th. Um, fasting. <laughs> I think I do associate it with Lent. I think that's important. And I think fasting, honestly, is a challenge. And um, yeah, it's probably why, you know, why would you bring a challenge on yourself, to be honest? You know, I mean, other, like, who welcomes a challenge? I guess people do, right, regularly, but fasting is the spiritual challenge. And so I think, you know, it's it's part of many faith traditions for centuries. There's huge, there's tremendous wisdom in it. And I, I would encourage anyone to maybe learn more about it, myself included. Um, it seems like it's kind of a popular thing right now, Haley, right? I hear that in many health circles. Um, you might have some familiarity with that. Any yeah. thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting you say who welcomes a challenge. Um, I, I think people welcome, and, you know, welcome challenges in many ways, but um, maybe not a fasting challenge. I think the the best part about welcoming a challenge is you have a reward at the end, right? So you set a challenge of, you know, playing a great round of golf or a challenge of climbing a mountain, right? And there's that reward at the end where you actually did it. So um, maybe the the challenge of fasting is, you know, what's that reward and can we see it? And is it tangible? Um, You know, the reward is great, but we don't always see it. But yeah, fasting is, it is kind of a fad right now. You know, you hear about intermittent fasting and um, you know, don't ever Google it on your phone because it'll show up in every social media ad, you know, for the next mm. two weeks on your, on your social media platforms. But, um, I actually have, um, tried it, the intermittent fasting, and I did it really at the recommendation of a friend of mine who is a nurse and RN and actually a, a registered dietitian as well. She's, she's really into, um, sort of natural health in the body and, and the way that the body heals itself. And, And that was one of the reasons she had explained it to me was I have, like many people, most people, um, certain foods that just kind of rip up my stomach, which, you know, isn't a pleasant thought. But um, so, for example, bagels. I love bagels. I've always loved bagels. I love a good salt bagel, um, you know, in particular. So that's kind of a double whammy between the salt and uh, (laughs) the bagel itself. You know, it really just upsets my stomach. And she said, you know, you, your body, your body needs to heal. Um, and when you are constantly feeding it, it, it's constantly working and it doesn't have time to heal itself. And really the, the science in a very, very high level of the way fasting, intermittent fasting works is you're giving your stomach time to heal. So it takes a while you're eating and then it takes several hours to digest. And then you really have to let your stomach rest because you know we all heal best when we're resting. So your stomach needs to do that as well. So I tried it. I did the six, the eight sixteen fast where you eat for eight hours. I actually find that I eat more during a day when I limit it to those eight hours. Oh. Um, and then the 16 hours you know, of, of fasting. And 
it it's amazing after probably six to eight months um and to this day i i can eat that salt bagel and i feel nothing um it's really amazing and Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's given my body the natural time that it takes to heal. Now, that's just my story and my experience with it. But it really made me think about, you know, what is fasting from a religious standpoint? Well, I think it's, it's taking away outside forces, it's taking away, um, you know, anything that that we could consume that sort of takes away from the time that we need to heal spiritually or um you know our soul right you know when you really think about what fasting is is it's it's a it's an opportunity to bring us closer to god um and to and to really think about in those fasting hours what that means so i'm not making a huge connection here between uh sort of this diet fad and um and you know the the religious fasting but there is that connection of you know kind of removing outside forces to really bring us to to what's important and it's that sense of healing yeah you know Haley, i think that's a i mean i obviously i love an analogy sports and spirituality but i think i think that's something this week just to consider i think that's a great I, there's a lot there in terms of a parallel because when you were talking about the purpose of undertaking a challenge is a reward. And then I was thinking, you know, in the spiritual life, how often are we really thinking about the rewards? And that's the, that's the question, you know, from today's gospel is when we look at the commandments, what is, what is it in this life that we place above our importance? Um, we put as the most important, and those are, why we need to remove those things because God is, you know, and love of God and love of neighbor should be of primary importance. So a spiritual reward by fasting is interesting to think about, but also that like our souls need to be healed because the bottom line, I think you know, a challenge, fasting is hard work. And I remember this when I coached cross country, when, um, for example, you know, you are training, you're practicing and girls would be like, wow, like today's practice was like hard. And I was like, uh, yeah, like what part of <laughs> being an athlete is just like, you know, we're just gonna go for a jog? No, I mean, we are intentional about our practice and we make practice hard so that the race seems easy. That's where, you know, successful runners can, can bear witness to that. So you eating for eight hours means there's 16 that you're not. And I would imagine for me, you know, you said it got easier, but at some points it's gotta be tough. There's gotta be that internal debate, that challenge. But if you frame it thinking about the healing piece, that's super interesting to me. Well, so is the idea of what you just mentioned about, you know, we put in the hard works, you know, you train hard so that the race is easy. Um, you know, that's a, that's a great analogy for the way we live our life too, right? Life is hard right now. Um, life is hard on earth so that yeah. the reward at the end is, um, you know, easy, yeah. what, we, what we strive right. for, for sure. <laughs> so I so, had an interesting week, yeah. um, kind of an exciting new uh, adventure for me. I This week I started um, a monthly radio stint on the, the Charlie Adams show. It's WKVI in Indiana and Charlie Adams um, was in South Bend uh, working for a bit when I was a student. So he was familiar with the, you know, the Notre Dame swim team bus accident and my story and recovery, but uh, left 
South Bend really kind of before, um, you know, before my first race and kind of the culmination of that. So he was aware of it, but didn't necessarily follow really quickly. And I was put in touch with him um, by a, a colleague of mine who I do um, a lot of compassionate care medical training um, with. And um, we had written this book called Advice from a Patient, um, which is really a, a compilation of stories. It's um, advice from a patient um, to those who give care. And um, so he had invited us on our show to talk about that book back in December. And um, then we just kind of reconnected and chatted and he invited me back in January to talk about my book, um, What Though the Odds. And, you know, just we kind of continued the dialogue. And, um, you know, he said, I really think my listeners would love to hear from you on a regular basis, either talk about what's going on in the world. Um, you know, if there's a tragic event that happens, you know, you provide such great insight that some people yeah. can't, you know, can't. And so I, I did my first stint. Uh, it's Tuesday mornings. It'll be the first Tuesday of the month. Um, it's, you know, about eight to 10 minutes and he's a really great interviewer. Um, I, hmm. I have learned over the years that some people are really good. It's probably why he has his own radio show every morning. Um, yeah. and, and some people aren't, he just, he knows how to keep the dialogue going. He is very familiar with the topic. Um, it, it yeah. was, it's really easy to, to talk to him. I've, I've, I've been interviewed by some people who had no idea what I was going to say, um, or even what to ask me. And it was quite painful. Mm. Um, so it was exciting. So yeah. I, I will look to do that once a month. It should be kind of fun. Um, so we'll see That's awesome. where that goes. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah. Wise of Charlie to, um, recognize your gifts and talents and yeah, I know I'm biased, but I do think you're great on the air. So, <laughs> Thank um, you. but what a compliment to him as well that, you know, he has such a gift, a gift for, um, yeah, asking the right questions. And obviously I think part of the questions is listening, but like you said, um, a certain knowledge about the person you're encountering. So I look forward to listening to that. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Now that's not the only interview that was happening. It sounds like your son Edward had um, an interview for you as well. He did. So uh, my younger son Edward came to me uh, this week and he, I, I think he knew the answer to this, but I just think it just kind of struck me. He said, he said, mom, were you alive when Pope John Paul II was Pope? And um, you horrified when he asked that question. <laughs> yes, quite horrified. Um, and, and I actually had to look up the year that he, you know, that the year that he died because 2004? It, it, 2005, um, okay. because it occurred to me, Edward was two when Pope John Paul II died. Yeah. And, you know, you and I are this, you know, the same age. So Pope John Paul II, you know, even though I wasn't raised Catholic, he, you know, he was such a visible fixture, fixture. He was, you know, the Pope, he was very mobile, um, you know, in a time when, you know, he was on TV a lot and media was really picking up, but he was basically Pope for most of my life. Yes. Right. Um, so, you, you know, it was, it was shocking to me that this very real present figure in my life is a historical figure to him. Um, yeah. but it was, it was a really neat assignment. You know, Edward really enjoys his theology classes. Um, he's had great theology teachers, which I'm really grateful for because, um, you know, as you know, Anne, in some ways being a theology teacher yourself or, or teaching about sports and spirituality, the teacher makes all the difference. Um, so I'm very grateful to those yeah. who are teaching him, yeah. um, such an important topic, but we had to watch a video together about, um, John Paul II. And then he had to interview me someone who was alive during, um, his papacy and, it was just really fun to talk to him about, um, actually it was really fun for me to sort of think about, um, these questions and what 
Pope John Paul has meant, um, you know, in my life. I, I'm not sure I'd actually thought about that specifically, hmm. uh, but it was yeah. also really kind of neat to share that with him, you know, talking about hum his humanity, talking about his work with children, you know, and starting your yeah. World Youth Day and, um, you know, what that's meant to some of my friends who really, you know, yeah. who attended and then, you know, became, you know, really that influenced their careers. And, yes. um, yeah. you know, just to, in Denver, right? Do they go in Denver? Yeah, your friends? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, po I was a freshman in high school when John Paul II came and said mass at, um, you know, Arizona State University and Sun Devil mm -hmm. Stadium. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, again, I wasn't Catholic, but I was a freshman at Xavier at the time. So I was very aware because a lot of my friends went and a lot of people I knew went and I knew it was a really big deal for these Catholic families. And, yeah. you know, I remember the controversy because it was Sun Devil Stadium and they had to. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Oh, they, they had oh. to cover up any word devil and any pictures oh. of the mascot, the devil. And, um, you know, huh. as a 13, 14 year old girl, that's what I remember. Um, but uh, it was so it was a, I knew that was a really big deal. And so it was really fun to reflect on John Paul II's life in a way that I guess I hadn't recently um, in sort of the way it, it, he had influenced my life as well. So um, it's always neat to it was kind of an unexpected midweek um, kind of pause and, and reflection yeah. on theology. Yeah. So I'm curious for someone who was so young when John Paul II died, um, what were, what's your sense of Edward's impressions or what did he enjoy learning about him or in those conversations? I'll have to ask him. I think he enjoyed hearing my story. So I have a necklace that I wear all the time. Um, and he knew that right away. I said, you know, I have this necklace I wear. He goes, oh yeah, I know, um, that I bought in Rome and it is, um, it's Alpha the Omega and the sign of peace in the middle. And it's, um, it was a um, kind of a, a logo is the wrong word, uh, a symbol that uh, John Paul II had designed that he used whenever he had meetings of all of the world religion mm. leaders. So um, yeah. there was a, a big meeting in Assisi that he um, had brought together all world leaders. Yeah. And they actually yeah. mentioned that in the video, which was kind of neat, because that mm. was um, something that I had talked about with Edward. Um, so it was kind of, I think Edward actually enjoyed, uh, you know, I would have to ask him, but I get the sense in talking to him that he enjoyed hearing as much about kind of my personal experience with it. You know, it's kind of fun to learn things about your parents that you didn't really know and see them as people yeah. and humans. Um, so I think it was probably equal me and equal, you know, John Paul II. I will say the one thing he found really fascinating because he brought it up even before we watched the video was... Um, you know, John Paul II's ability to go and forgive the man who shot him. Uh, yeah. Isn't um, that incredible? The Turkish. Super um, powerful. So we talked yeah. about that a lot because yeah. that yeah. was really something that's, yeah. you know, that stuck with him. So those are just yeah. great conversations to have um, with anyone, but even for myself, you know, to kind of reflect like yeah. that. You know, Haley, that story might, that might be underreported, right? I mean, there's, there's the possibility of that. Like, and they don't have a record of what their conversation was like. It was between the two of them. And um, well, yeah, what a powerful um, image. There is a photograph of it and it is it is just incredible. But, um, you know, I, we were four when John Paul II was named Pope and I actually remember the news for some reason at four years old. And so I was thinking in some ways, maybe that speaks to my, um, you know, propensity towards 
your colleague that I could, yeah, think of that. And I was able to see him in 87, came to Monterey, came to San Francisco, but my parish didn't get tickets at Candlestick Park. So it was at Laguna Seca Raceway, but um, what a great life. And, um, you know, he went to Israel, he went to the Wailing Wall, he went to Yad Vashem, um, the Holocaust Memorial Museum. Um, He would have done that John Paul II, being Polish, had so many friends that died during World War II. He had so many friends who were Jews. Um, and that was a tremendous um, you know, sign of, again, interfaith dialogue. So I love that you have that image that speaks to that. And it kind of leads to what I wanted to talk about this week. Um, speaking of interfaith dialogue, you know, Pope Francis um, has been in Iraq. And I if there's one place in the world I would love to go, honestly, I've, I, I, it is Iraq just because it's kind of this birthplace of civilization, you know, um, Mesopotamia, and I'd love to see the, you know, Babylonian gardens and, and things like that. Um, but he has referred to this as a pilgrimage, and he says it's a penitential one, and I thought that was um, very humbling. And he said that he will visit as a pilgrim of peace and reconciliation hoping to strengthen a sense of fraternity among all the nation's people of every ethnicity and religion. Um, so he flew from Rome to, to Baghdad and, um, you know, starting point, you know, Baghdad is one of like the largest Arab cities and people are like, Oh, he's in Iran. And I was like, no, no, he's in Iraq. Like, let's not confuse these Americans should have some familiarity with Baghdad. You know, it's where Saddam Hussein was, um, and it's really, you know, it's on the Tigris River, which again is this cradle of civilization. And I just, um, I love that he ventured there. We're hearing about the Holy Father traveling again. And I think that to me is such a sign of hope. And um, I think it's also really, I think it's necessary um, that we see modeling, you know, a leader of peace going to a place where this dialogue needs to happen. Um, yes. You know, so people, it's not, you know, again, it's not Iran and the Ayatollah. It's, you know, Iraq has had some religious diversity. Um, for example, I think like when I was in Israel, we learned like 25% of Jews identify as Iraqi Jews or did at some point in time. And like, to me, that was something totally new. There's a small minority of Christians there. Um, many Christians have been persecuted um, throughout the world. And I, I really believe that that needs to be understood and and um people that we need to pray for anyone who's persecuted let alone because of their faith um you know for this militant islamic state that emerges you know often and again but why would pope francis go to iraq well we have a common father in faith christians jews and muslims all share abraham and i will admit i too often forget that that is you know the root of our faith is in abraham an Abrahamic faith, right? Um, and this was the birthplace of Abraham. He's from the town of Ur, you are this, you know, and um, so he's the patriarch for all of us. So he went to Ur. He also, you know, this town is like, it goes back to 6,000 BC. Wow. It's just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so were we alive when that, when the town was founded? Yeah. At least uh, Edward no. didn't come and ask you that. <laughs> Um, and then he's going to go to Christian communities like Nineveh and Nineveh is relevant because, um, it came up in the readings, I think last, maybe two weeks ago, Jonah goes to, is in Nineveh and it's this town that was so viable and dynamic. It took days to cross it. It says that in scripture. 
um, but it's where a lot of Christians live. And so, you know, the Holy Father's going to these places that are mentioned in scripture over again for like thousands of years ago, and they're still viable. They're still bustling with people. And what is that like to live in a place where, you know, here in the United States, something's like from a hundred years ago in San Francisco, it's like, wow, <laughs> here it's, you know, thousands of years. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought this was interesting when I was reading Catholic San Francisco, it said, um, Nineveh is the historic Christian heartland of Iraq where Christians have lived since Jesus's earthly ministry when both St. Thomas brought the gospel message about AD 35 and he was aided by St. Jude. The pair were thought to base themselves in the Northern city of Erbil in a modern day Kurdistan. And I read that and that resonates with me because I have a friend who is Kurdish. That's and amazing. I, <laughs> I've, I've struggled, Nabaz is his name. And I know him through a friend from Notre Dame. I've struggled to like understand his identity. So I'll talk to him all the time. I'm like, so you're Kurdish, but like, what does that mean? Like, do you, you speak Kurdish? You speak English? Do you speak Arabic? And he's like, yes, but the Arabic I speak, I wouldn't be able to communicate with all people who speak Arabic, just like you wouldn't be able to speak to or understand somebody who's like Australian. And I was like, no, no, Nabaz, I, I, anyone who speaks English, like, yeah, there's an accent, but I, the analogy isn't working on me. And you know, he is fiercely Kurdish, but he grew up in Wales because I think they had to flee, mm. you know, flee Kurdistan. And then, you know, during the war in Iraq, I think the U.S., you know, protect Kurds, Kurds were being like, you know, persecuted and killed. So, you know, it's just and there's all these different dynamics to that place that I am fascinated by, but just it's not a common part of our right? Daily lives or culture to talk about it. So I think it's great that Pope Francis is there. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think we forget, you know, especially during a time when we're living, you know, in a pandemic and especially when we're dealing with even a lot of the race issues and social justice issues that are going on in our country, you know, Americans are notoriously self-centered and we really just kind of think about ourselves and our country and what affects us. And, you know, there, and I'm not saying this, uh, this is a huge generalization. You know, I am not talking about anybody in spe you know, specifically, but there are many Americans who, if it happens outside of our country and it doesn't affect them, they don't, you know, it's not relevant to them. So I think it's really important for us to continue to learn about, um, you know, these injustices that are going on in other parts of the world. And I think, you know, the Holy Father brings that to us. Um, yes, his witness of of going somewhere, you know, a friend said, you know, what, and he's going in the middle of a pandemic. And I said, well, hopefully you know, the end, hopefully we're, hopefully it's not the middle anymore. <laughs> I'm going to say people that are offended by your comment there, Haley. I, I'm I sure just, my apologies. Yeah. You know, I've always invited perspective during this pandemic. And I said, you know, let's, let's, let's just pause for, this is a man who's 84 years old. The news was in January, January 14th. He and Pope Benedict received their vaccinations. They've had both. They've had the two-week period after. And they there's work to do. Yeah. There's work to do. I mean, if it's not Myanmar, where like thousands of people, I mean, equitable numbers either have been displaced or are have literally lost their lives, or these Christians in the Middle East who are being persecuted. I mean, it is people are dying and 
it, it's at a cost of like human hatred and and greed and evil. And so um, if we can draw some attention to that and move beyond, are you wearing your mask or not? I, I welcome that. That's right. what I'll say about that. Well, and you know, the Holy Father is traveling for good. Um, you know, he is traveling to bring awareness. He is traveling to bring hope. He is traveling to to make a difference. It's not like he's just traveling to go on vacation. And, um, and you know what, if you want to travel and go on vacation, then kudos to you too, because it's been a really tough year. And, um, you know, I I think one of the things that um, has really gotten out of hand, and in some ways, justifiably, but, um, you know, we're judging a lot. And um, I think the one person maybe we we shouldn't, we should always just look at ourselves before we judge anyone else, um, especially the Holy Father. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the hope that he's brought to that area. I've seen some of the images and we'll post some of those, um, just meeting different Muslim leaders and, you know, having, having a dialogue to me, Haley, it's really a sign of hope. I mean, like you, this is somebody who, I mean, it's a risk. These places are not necessarily always safe. That's like anywhere in the world though. And, um, he's saying this is important and I'm going to take new steps because, we need to move on in the sense of safely and responsibly, but we need to see that, you know, with science here, we have our vaccinated leader who's taking the right precautions. We can continue God's work right? and, um, and be a person of penance. Like that is his MO. So um, that takes some um, spiritual, I don't know, strength to ask for forgiveness and, um, bring, you know, recognize the sorrows that have happened, but also maybe bring some joy that he can bring as a man of joy. Well, and the Holy Father certainly has strength. And my guess is at times he gets his strength from from fasting um, and the prayer that he probably does during that time. Um, But, you know, it's also we do, you know, we do need to all move on and, you know, we can move on even here with our podcast, moving to our spiritual stew. And, you know, how do we move on and do God's work? Well, we follow you know, what he asks us to do. And it was really kind of fun this week to hear, um, you know, we, we hear about the 10 commandments, you know, it's kind of a catchphrase in some ways. And, you know, we all, we, most of us know what they are. Um, I don't know if most people could name all 10, um, but it was kind of fun to hear the, uh, in the first reading today, you know, the, the 10 commandments, you know, that it's kind of this iconic, um, you know, religious, image um and and discussion but you know it was really interesting in in hearing um father tom the mass that that ann and i attend him talk about you know the last the last commandment and you know it the commandments are in exodus 20 and the last one says or you know the one mentioned here you know you shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male or female slave nor his axe ox or ass nor anything else that belongs to him (laughs) so yes I was on mute during mass. I chuckled when I heard the word ass. You know, if you listen to this <laughs> podcast, that that is just sort of the perennial word that makes us laugh in our house living with two boys. Um, I always love when it's part of the mass because it makes my children pay attention. Um, so it was kind of, it made me smile um, hearing that yeah. word. Um, but it's, you know, it's really interesting. The, the Ten Commandments, and we could spend, you know, an entire podcast on each one of them. Um, but the whole idea, you know, thou shall not covet. So first of all, the whole idea of a neighbor, right? You know, we hear neighbor and I'm thinking the people live next door to me. 
that that is a very limited limited definition of neighbor right our neighbor sure. is our community our neighbor is the world you know our neighbor is pretty much everybody that's not ourselves um you know and not coveting not wanting um you know there's that it's so it's so much says so many things that jesus asked us to do and has so many things that are true in the bible it's so simple and yet oftentimes so hard to do um yeah. But to, you know, to not covet what other people have, um, you know, it's, it's a very fundamental way to live your life, to be happy and content with what we have and to be grateful for what we have. Um, but boy, it's so easy to, to look at someone else and someone yep. else's yeah. car or clothes or all those material yeah. things that look like fun, but really don't mean much. Yeah. Well, you know, Haley, thank you for the reminder, because I think that is essentially where the spiritual discipline that's gained from fasting, you know, some people can look, acknowledge, and it's like, okay, you know, like there's times where we have to move on, like recognize, yeah, I wish I had that. And then, but like what enables us to just not dwell in it or really let it stew to use our word for spiritual stew. But like, that is where I think, having where fasting can pay dividends because you do have that strengthen of soul. I mean, your soul is strengthened. And I think there's something to be said, you know, for Gandhi, it was called Stratya Graha, which was like civil disobedience, but really it was soul force. So the soul force is what enabled him to endure, you know, beatings, different um, challenges that came their way, but the soul is strong. And that is a result of the fasting. Um, so, Oh, I like that soul force. Yeah. It's good. That. It is. It is. I, I know we should all myself included. Yeah. Um, I think this Sunday's gospel is, um, it's just a, such an important story. It's a beautiful story. And, um, anyone who's been to the campus, at the university of Notre Dame, there is an, uh, it's really awesome. And it hopefully doesn't get lost in the, the trees, so to speak, the, uh, sculpture, uh, by Yvonne Mestrovic, it's the, you know, woman at the well, it's Christ's woman at the well, it's in front of um, O'Shaughnessy Hall, and it's on that South Quad. And a um, couple of things that are really important about this gospel passage, it's the longest conversation Jesus has with somebody recorded in scripture. So I think that's quite notable, because, you know, you would think it would probably be Peter, right, the leader, you know, the, or one of the disciples, or right. even it could have been, you know, his mother, or, you know, Mary and Martha, his close friends, but no, it's a woman who is a Samaritan woman who is the enemy, who is considered like, I mean, she's largely, she's had several husbands. It's in the middle of the day. She's not with anyone. Like this is going against so many customs and so many norms. And the fact that he talks to her um, in light of all of that is significant and it's worth paying attention to. Um, and, you know, Alan Hunt of Dynamic Catholic says, like, Jesus initiates the conversation, and this would have never been done. Um, wrong gender, wrong race, wrong religion, um, but he offers her a gift. In spite of all that, he offers her a gift, and the gift is not just water, because that's why she's there. She's there for the water, but living water. And um, she doesn't ask for it. It's not something she can purchase. It's totally a gift. And he just says, would you like some? And what an incredible image. And I think that's really our takeaway is like, what is living water? And what is it that, that God gives us that we don't ask for, right? Um, that we can't purchase. 
and it's given to us. And what is, you know, I love, you know, water, you're somebody who loves the water and um, I live near the water. I'm always like looking at it. It just, it is a source of life for so many of us. Um, so, you know, that, that notion of living water, I think is, is really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Especially because we need water to live. Um, but there's something more powerful when you, Jesus is talking about living water. Um, yeah, that's a great image. Yeah. And then Father Jim Martin, you know, Jesuit priest, um, I recommend to our listeners following him. He is prolific on social media. Um, and he's just an, a great, I think he's just a great writer and speaker in general. But he yeah. um, says many New Testament commentators point out that um, the woman at the well left behind her jug. And that is similar to Peter, who left behind his nets both leave behind what they have in order to follow Jesus. And I thought, wow, that is so, that is such an invitation at prayer. What do we need to leave behind? And that's really part of our Lenten journey. What are we trying to leave behind? So with Peter, I get it. You know, a net is complex. It's weighted, it's tangled, yep. you know, we're tangled by it. And then he leaves it to follow Jesus. But for her, it's this, you know, cistern. I imagine it's heavy. It's something that she has to do. She needs. What do we need to leave behind in order to follow Jesus? And so I think that will be really for our takeaways in terms of, you know, the melting pot. Like, I would like to think about that. What do I need to leave behind and what is living water for me? Right. Well, and first of all, I love Father Jim Martin and I love following him on social media and, you know, not too different than when we were talking about you know, the nether and the nether world and sort of that biblical reference into a mainstream video game. I love that he uses uses mainstream platforms, you know, social media to reach people in a different way. Um, you know, it's all about meeting people where they are um, and yes. kind of, you know, bringing bringing religion to the masses. Um, but, you know, it's all, you know, with the with the nets and the and the jug, you know, those are those are their livelihoods. That's those are what sustain them. You know, Peter needs the nets to catch the fish to eat and the woman needs the jug for the water. They're, they're leaving very, um, life sustaining objects behind to follow Jesus. You know, those are necessities. Those aren't nice to haves. Um, and that's, I think really important for us to remember too, when we're, you know, going through this week and you thinking about what can we leave behind? Let's not leave the behind the nice to haves. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just like fasting. It's just like giving up something for Lent. You know, if you give up, you know, if I'm going to give up black jelly beans for Lent, that means nothing. I don't like them. Um, you know, it has to be something meaningful. It has to be something um, that is, you know, a, a sacrifice and, and yeah. life sustaining. So that's a great takeaway for me this week. You know, what are the, what are the, uh, the, the essentials, the needs um, that I can leave behind as opposed to just the, the nice to haves? Yeah. Yeah. I, and it speaks to like the trust, um, you know, does this woman trust Jesus after, you know, this encounter? I mean, that's something to pray with too. You know, they always say Jim Martin's big on putting yourself in the scripture. What do you hear? What do you see? What do you smell? You know, how does it feel? But then like really feeling like maybe placing yourself in the role of this woman, like who, um, in our most unaccepted selves. And when we are completely in the like wrong place at the wrong time. And like, what would that be like? Like, would I trust Jesus to have the conversation? And, you know, I mean, the conversation only happens because she allows him, you know, like she could have walked away, right. We wouldn't have the story or she could have just said, you know, I I can't, 
I'm not allowed to be talking to you. Instead, she allows him to tell him what he already knows about her, which is pretty amazing. So, well, it's um, also a great reminder, you know, to put, when you put yourself in the story, to put yourself in Jesus's shoes too. You know, you, you mentioned that here he's having a conversation with the, you know, wrong gender, wrong race, yeah. all of that, yeah. but yet he approached her and welcomed her and offered her this gift. You know, how often yeah. do we do that? You know, how often are we yeah. putting ourselves in the position of reaching out to others who, um, you know, might not, you know, I don't want to say might be scary to us. That's a terrible word, but you know, might be someone we're afraid to approach. Um, mm -hmm. That's probably a better word. Um, yeah. You know, are we afraid to approach them and, you know, offer them a gift? Well, um, we shouldn't be. That's not what Jesus is teaching us. So, um, you know, that's something for us to remember this week as we navigate through our week and are at the grocery store or in the parking lot or wherever it is um, to remember to, to, to put ourselves, you know, not only in the, the shoes of, of the woman at the well, but also of Jesus and how he approached life and people. Right. Well, even as you're saying that Haley, I'm thinking like, how often do we have that opportunity to encounter somebody? I mean, is that something that happens regularly for us? I mean, I guess it's at an unexpected time and place. And I think maybe that's part of it. Cause I'm thinking about, okay, at school, you know, like it, there's colleagues, maybe I'm not thrilled to talk to or something, but like, I don't know. I think like this challenge is, I, I think, I think this is the passage I need to parry with this week because there's a lot there. And, and I think it happens more than you think. So maybe, yeah. maybe your goal and maybe mine too this week is to actually just open our eyes and look around to see how many people we might encounter that we're not otherwise seeing. Yes. Um, yes. Who, who are there that we um, yes. need to right. maybe open our hearts to? Because my guess is you encounter them more than you think you do. Yeah. Um, we're just not seeing it. And, and that, you know, that happens to all of us. We're busy. We're rushed. We're trying to get here and there. We've got things to do. You know, we're physically in one place, but our mind is someplace else. But, um, you know, it's all part about being very present with where we are and just really looking at our neighbor. Yeah. I, I thank you. You're absolutely right. And I remember I wrote about this one time on my blog, like um, you probably had this experience. We've all had it and it speaks to what you're saying. Um, I will meet somebody at, you know, my golf club also has a, a, a gym in a downtown facility and inevitably or invariably, I should say, I'll meet somebody on the golf course and they'll be like, oh, I see you all the time on the sixth floor. Haley, I've never seen this person. You know, and I'm like, and I never say I've, I, I'm not the type of person who would say, no, you're totally unfamiliar to me or really, I always just play along with it. And I just say, oh yeah, you know, of course. So, so yeah, it's early or whatever. Once they say that, then I start seeing them all the time. But for some reason, there are a lot of people that we don't see. So yeah. you are absolutely right. And I've learned that through that experience. So that is in a, a safer place, right? Whereas like in our communities, our workplaces, other things, yes, there are people that we are not seeing and um, we're missing that encounter. So um, that well, is my challenge. Thank yeah, you. and missing that opportunity to, to have yeah. those encounters and to, to give those gifts or to receive those gifts um, as well, yeah. however they come. So great takeaways for this week. Great conversation today, as always. You know, what do we need to leave behind? Um, you know, what do we need to sort of shed ourselves of what do we need to fast from to make sure um you know that we can truly follow those commandments follow the work that 
that you know Jesus is asking us to do and um, to really open our eyes this week. Um, you know, once we hopefully have fasted ourselves of the nice to haves, you know, we can really open our eyes and see who's out there um, and our neighbor and, and what we can do to, to walk in the shoes um, and to, to do the work that God is asking us to do. So as always, Anne, I love your historical, um, your historical background, your historical contributions. Um, I always learn something when I talk to you. Um, I'm sure it's a compliment coming from a history teacher, history well, major. Well, yes, it, yeah. yes, we always have things to learn. So, um, have a great week. I look forward to our conversation Jill. next week is our third of the, the three topics of, of Lent. Um, we'll be talking about almsgiving, which is, um, such yeah. a funny word to me. Um, Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I look forward it is. to I talking about too. that and what that means. Um, yeah. And I hope everyone has a great week. Me too. Thanks. Thanks, Haley.